Sometimes the seed of a sermon is like a kernel of wheat that sprouts when a word or phrase from a scriptural passage inspires or captivates. And sometimes the seed of a sermon is like a grain of sand in an oyster, irritating over and over and over again until something new emerges. This morning's sermon is the product of the latter. One of the things I try to do uh, as I preach a sermon is to um, walk around in the story of the text. And this week, as I was walking with these uh, disciples, as they come to realize, uh, thanks to John the Baptizer, who Jesus is, as Jesus tells these disciples to come and see and They came and they saw, even as Simon Peter is renamed, seen for who he really is, all these amazing things happened. And all I kept coming back to is why on earth does John the baptizer call Jesus the Lamb of God? I could not let this go. It's a kind of a bizarre metaphor, the Lamb of God. The vulnerable of the all-powerful. And it's it's a metaphor that frankly was making very little sense to me. uh, Until I was reminded this week of the particular way that John's Gospel tells the story of the Christ. And specifically, the way John's gospel tells of the events of Christ's death and resurrection. You see, uh, John's gospel is different than the other three gospels, as usual. But in this way, in this gospel, Jesus is put to death on a day that is different than the rest. Jesus is put to death on the day of preparation for the Passover. The day when all the faithful of Jerusalem were readying their homes for the feast of deliverance and liberation. Now, to make this meaning even more clear, in John's Gospel, when Jesus dies on the day of preparation, his death takes place At the very time of day when the lambs for the Passover meal were being slaughtered. And that is where John's gospel is headed from this very moment. When John the baptizer makes this audacious claim, look, behold, here is is the Lamb of God. We have this incredible theological statement being made then that Jesus is the Passover Lamb. Behold. Which tells us what exactly? 
Well, first, what it doesn't tell us, because there were a few um, exciting possibilities for this sermon that ended up being dead ends. Uh, because if you're like me, when I first heard about a Lamb of God taking away the sin of the world, the first thing that I thought of was sacrifice, as in a sin offering and a sacrificial system, or a scapegoat that is offered up for the guilt of the people. But that is not the metaphor that John's gospel intends to evoke. Remember, in John's gospel, you will never hear the word repent or repentance at all. They are not a part of this gospel tradition. Because that's not how sin is understood in this gospel. Rather than sin being about a, uh, a moral category, in this telling of the good news of Jesus the Christ, sin is about separation from God. Sin is about the distance between um, the way God is, the way that the world should be, and the way that the world is. A world where human beings are separated and separate themselves from the abiding, sustaining love of God. Whenever we are separated from this love of God, whether it's by our own action or by the divisive action against us by another, a chasm is created. And this chasm is what sin is in John's gospel. But this distance between us and our beloved, this is not the final answer. Because the almost unbelievable faith claim that is being made in this gospel is that the life and death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. That in this God abides. Jesus of Nazareth abides in that chasm. Because if the Passover. Of this Passover lamb. If the Passover is always about deliverance. Then Christ the lamb of God. Delivers us. From this absence. This separation between God and human beings ends because Jesus abides with us. If we can but trust in him. And it's not always easy. This past week on Wednesday, we observed the feast of the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. on his birthday. And in the service, we talked about the promised land and who gets to see it. We talked about what it means to love our enemies and how to return the curses we receive with blessings in their stead. 
But the part of the Eucharist that held my attention long after our meal was finished was a story from Dr. King's life that took place in Montgomery, Alabama, early in his life as he stood for communal justice and for human dignity. At this time, the the Montgomery bus boycott uh, had begun. Rosa Parks had been arrested and jailed for sitting in the front of the bus. And the tension around Montgomery was now reaching a boiling point. And uh, because rather than this boycott lasting just a couple of days, maybe a week, it stretched from days to weeks to months. And at this point, as the leading figure of this nascent movement, Martin King was now starting to attract attention, all kinds of attention. Attention including specific and relentless threats of violence against his life and the lives of those he loved. Letters, many of them phone calls, called into his home at all hours of the day and night. Sometimes as many as 40 in a single day. And it came to a head on the night of January 27th, 1956. King returned home late that night. He'd had yet another long strategy session. And Coretta, his wife, had already gone to sleep. So when he got home, Martin paced the house. He was uh, wound up from the meeting. He was trying to sort things out. And then in the uh, silence of their home, it was broken by the phone ringing. And so Martin leapt up to grab it so that Coretta wouldn't wake up. The voice on the end of the telephone line left absolutely no mystery. Leave Montgomery immediately if you have no wish to die. Now there was something about, I think, the relentless nature of the threats and the months of the boycott and all of it. Because that threat shook Martin King to his core. Fear began to surge through his body. Not knowing what else to do, he went into the kitchen, he started up a pot of coffee, and he sat down at his kitchen table feeling nearly completely defeated. Now I'm going to turn to his words that come from his 1958 book, Stride Toward Freedom, a book he wrote about the Montgomery boycott. King writes, I was ready to give up. With my cup of coffee still untouched before me, I tried to think of a way to move out of the picture without appearing a coward. 
In this state of exhaustion, when my courage had all but gone, I decided to take my problem to God. With my head in my hands, I bowed over the kitchen table and prayed aloud. The words I spoke to God that midnight are still vivid in my memory. I am here taking a stand for what I believe is right. But now I am afraid. The people are looking to me for leadership, and if I stand before them without strength and courage, they too will falter. I am at the end of my powers. I have nothing left. I come to the point where I can't face it alone. At that moment, he writes, I experienced the presence of the divine as I never had experienced God before. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, stand up for justice, stand up for truth, and God will be at your side forever. Almost at once, my fears began to go. My uncertainty disappeared I was ready to face anything. It is so easy to believe that we are alone. The powers of this world are very skilled at dividing us and separating us. And they were at their worst with Martin King and all who stood against the deformation of God's created through the structures of slavery and Jim Crow, some of which endure to this day. And so in a year that has the potential for deep, deep division, and in a week when neo-Nazis have been arrested in Maryland, in Georgia, and in Wisconsin. I carry forward this story of Dr. King this day because it serves for me as an absolutely essential reminder that come what may in our lives, the Lamb of God abides. Whenever there is distance between us and between our God, the Lamb abides. In the separations that arise from within, the Lamb abides. In suffering, in doubt, the Lamb abides. In our hour of peril and when we are at our wit's end, the Lamb abides. When we turn our backs on God, the Lamb abides. When we are driven one from another, the Lamb abides. When we cannot see a way forward, the Lamb abides. Friends, take heart. Because at this table this morning, 
at Martin King's table that awful night. And at the table where we will feast forevermore, the Lamb of God abides.